0: Okay, we're talking about fighting things in our life. What we're talking about in this class is fighting some temptations, fighting difficulties. Let me just, if you're just joining with us or haven't been here each week, let me just do a synopsis of what we're talking about, okay? Jesus has, God has predestinated us to be conformed to Jesus Christ. So that means that one of the things we have to be working in is our personal holiness. We're going to be dealing with some other things, but right now in these few weeks, this is our major focus. When it comes to holy living, God has commanded us to do so. Got a verse? You got a verse or a phrase off the top of your head? Be, ye holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Okay. And so you have multiple times that's stated. is something true Christians will want to do. Okay, this is something who, if we're truly born again, will have a desire because every man that has this hope of Jesus Christ coming and taking us away and taking us to heaven, they will purify themselves. So it's a natural desire in the life of a true believer. Uh, again, it's a normal reaction. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Okay, all things keep on becoming new. And it's a prerequisite for real worship. Okay, the reason I say that is Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy, which is, now in our English we have reasonable service. The word that's used when it talks there at the end of reasonable service is the word for worship, okay, that can be translated for worship, the service is spiritual worship. And so, in order for us to have real worship, we've got to be holy before the Lord. It's only possible through Jesus Christ, he says, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, wherefore, Jesus also, he might sanctify the people with his own blood he suffered outside the gate. We understand that. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. So, he is the source of our possibility of holiness. But we also need some other things that we need to apply to our hearts. Not only take Christ, but we need to apply the Word of God. The Word of God says, Jesus prayed this way, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Okay, and so we make that comment. We also know that we have to be yielding to the Spirit. We are changed into the same image. and He's talking in the previous verse about the image of Christ. We are changed in the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's the work of God working in our hearts to help us to become more holy. And if we do, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh, he says, then we will have victory. Because if we live by the Spirit, we need to walk by the Spirit. It's also, this is an interesting thought. In Hebrews, he talks about how God corrects us. And it's interesting that we will not grow if we don't accept God's correcting. What does that mean to accept God's correction? Let's do the negative, first of all. How might it be that a believer would not accept correction? Okay, resist. Okay, Get angry, get bitter. Instead of changing, just continue where they were. Okay, and so he's saying in Hebrews chapter 12, "...whom the Lord loves, he chastens." He for, and then he compares, our earthly fathers chastened us for a temporary time, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but he for our glory and benefit, he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. And so in that sense, that as God convicts, as God would chasten, we need to respond the right way if we want to become more holy in our life. And then this is where we've been focusing on. Holy living is possible by making changes in our life. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been talking about verses 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Summarizing those verses, he basically says you need to put, put off... And put on. Okay, so we have responsibility. And so we're going we're to dissect it a little bit more. You're in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4. He starts off in that chapter as he's emphasizing this idea, putting off, putting on. Look at verse 17. I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. What do you think he means by that? Don't walk as other Gentiles walk. Can you, can you put it in just a, a paraphrase? Don't be, like the world. Don't be like the world. Okay, that's a really excellent way of putting it. He's basically talking about we're not supposed to be um, like we used to be. We're not supposed to be like the world around us. We're not supposed to act like the unsaved, the Gentile world at large. And so he's talking about that. My question is, look at these verses. How does God describe the lost world around us, the lost people? When he says, okay, the Gentiles, and it's, it's, a, it's a big reference to people who are outside the faith. In other words, no longer walk as other Gentiles. Well, if we're not supposed to walk as them, we need to find out what does that mean. Does God mean we're not supposed to work hard? Because some Gentiles work hard. We're not supposed to do business? Well, they do business. We're not supposed to be involved in politics? Because they do politics. What does he specifically mean Are we supposed to become Amish and isolate? Okay, then we need to look and say, what does that mean? Don't walk as the unsaved world. Starting with verse 17, what's his description of the unsaved lifestyle? In the vanity of their minds. What's that mean? Okay, proud. Anything else? Okay, what they feel is right. Is the standard, okay excellent, anything else without a purpose. okay, without a purpose, do you have a footnote or something that that highlights that yes that 's really that is that a paraphrase out of the text or just your own footnotes or notes yeah, because that 's really what most of them will jump most commentators will jump to is that idea of an aimlessness, just not having a real purpose you 're living just for yeah, right now. And it's just, and by the way, if this is all there is in life, then we might as well eat, drink, yeah, okay, and so that's, that's the point. What, do you, what does God, oops, um, when, he says, when he says in verse 18, describing them, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. What does that all mean? How how do you describe the the world from that phrase or phrases? Okay, they're refusing. How did you get that? That they refuse that God exists? Okay, okay. Is there another text that talks about that? That people knowing God did not keep God in their mind? Romans chapter 1, that they, all of a sudden, they make the creature more important than, yeah, okay, excellent. Anybody else want to add to this? Okay, what else do you have? Any other thoughts? I'm coming back to your Bible once again. Do they, any other footnotes from that? You got a good study Bible. That's really good. Um, not for God, not wanting Him, willingly rejecting Him in the stubbornness. Is that what the phrase you had? In the stubbornness of their mind? Somewhere that's in my mind, okay? Um, but it's that idea, of willingly choosing to be ignorant. Verse 19, what do you have there? Verse 19, how does God describe the unsaved? Working all uncleanness and greediness, okay? Who being past feeling have given themselves over... What's lasciviousness? What do you have? Lustfulness? Okay, okay. Giving themselves to lasciviousness, to work on cleanness. The idea is there's an apathy towards real morality. The bottom line comes, if it feels good... Yeah, it becomes you're the standard uh, idea, each to his very own. And then in verse 22, he describes in this way. He says that which the old man is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That phrase has this concept to allow themselves to be led astray by something that is corrupt and wrong that deceives them that takes over. And so this is God's description. Now he's going to build upon this, and we've already looked at putting on and putting off. He's basing it and saying these are alienated from God. They're far from God. They don't choose to be near God. They're Rather, the God of the flesh is what's dominating them. And so he gives us those concepts, and then he tells us what we're supposed to do in starting in verse 20, you have not so learned Christ, and basically don't walk like the world, but walk like Jesus Christ, which involves two things in this text, where he goes on, and starting in verse 21, if so be you have heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, what's the two commands in the next couple verses? The first command. If you're a believer taught by Christ, what are you supposed to do? Okay, put off concerning the former lifestyles. Okay, don't do what what that was. And then the second thing you're supposed to do is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so he's talking about that idea that in our minds we're supposed to be changing how we think and how we view the world and how we view ourselves. And so he talks that and bottom line is this is where we've been talking about putting off godly ungodly attitudes and putting on godly attitudes. Actions, speech, all different types of things, but it usually starts up here. It starts in our minds. So, he goes on talks about it and we've talked about those the lists Of virtues, vices, things we're supposed to put off and put on. We've been spending time. I want you to jump down a few more verses to chapter 5. And as he continues that thought, go to verse 11. Not only are we supposed to put off certain things, but the question becomes what if some things aren't listed? Well, then he gets real broad here, starting the verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I'm going to come back to it, but what he's implying in this verse, when he says, have no fellowship, what's that mean? Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. What's that mean? What? Don't participate? Okay. Fellowship is joining yourself. Don't joining yourself to it, that fellowship. Okay. Attitude-wise... We're not supposed to. In other words, not entertain some of this stuff. We're going to talk about a little bit more about that idea that we started with last week. That means what? We're, what are you supposed to do when it comes to the world? That is anti-God, more more less moral. Uh, and I'm not saying everyone is immoral; that they don't have moral standards. But as a whole, there is an amoral society. As a whole, uh, given over to the lust and whatever. He says we're supposed to separate. Okay, this, and we don't like this term anymore because it sounds too rigid. And we don't like rigid in, in the 2020s. Nobody likes rigidity anymore okay? because nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do. But the bottom line is we're supposed to separate from unfruitful works of darkness. Now that includes some other verses that talk about separation or keeping away from things. We stopped last week with this verse. 1 John, you've got to turn there because I'm not putting it on the wall. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. Some of you already have this memorized, which is good. But if you want to have it in front of you, which would be helpful as we dissect it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world... Remember the next phrase? The love of the Father is not... What's that mean? If you love not... If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What's that... What's he implying? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. You know, basically, where's that person? Saved or unsaved? Okay, he's implying that they could be unsaved, Okay, that if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever. So, in this passage, we talked about the world is the whole system, the whole idea. Um, not the earth, okay, which some will get silly in saying, we're not supposed to love land He's talking about this, the whole concept of what you choose to value. What do you choose to get involved in? And so it's like the world of science, the world of sports. You're talking about a whole, um, not a physical anatomy, but a social aspect, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, he says, and we stopped here last week, he says the world is corrupt. You, you define these words. Okay, last week you gave good descriptions. Where he says the world is corrupt, all that is in the world. And he described it as the what of the eyes. Lust, okay? It's a negative description. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the uh, uh, flesh, excuse me, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All three of those, he's talking about that idea that you, that you were saying last week. It's all about self, it's promotion of self, it's that idea of personal attention, just giving in to desires that are never satisfied. We ended here last time. Let's go to, not only are we to reject it because of the world's corruption, let's go a second phrase here because of what's going to happen to the world what is he saying this verse all those things that we can put all of our focus on our bank accounts our houses our cars what's going to happen to it all it's going to pass away okay it doesn't last it's it's it it is the word literally is, is passing away and will continue to do so is it true that your car is passing away Yes? No? No? Okay, drive a brand new car off the lot. Depreciates. It depreciates, okay. So does, does your car get cancer spots on it? The rust spots? Okay. So do our houses self-improve or do they need work? They need work. Okay. So, so basically everything we know in this world, it, it's passing away uh, in that same sense. Uh, some of you Your bank accounts and IRAs, are they passing away? Yeah, I opened up mine last night and it was so depressing to see what's happening. So it's that now we go a step further, okay? And his whole idea is these things don't last. Don't focus on the things that don't last. Does that mean it's wrong to enjoy them in this life? Yes or no? No, no, but don't Focus on them. Don't make that your greatest priority. Is it wrong to have money? Now, if I were some like some preachers, I would say, you should get rid of it. And you should give it to... (laughs) It's not wrong to have money and to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6 says that. But what is wrong when it comes to money? Okay, not your God, loving it. Okay, okay. Something else in this verse. If the, he says the world is corrupt. He says it's passing away. But he makes another comment. He says, and, and you take a whole passage, we are supposed to be different because of who we are. We're supposed to. Look, look at how he, he just puts this whole paragraph. Jump back up to verse 12. I write unto you, little children because your sins are forgiven. Who's what does he mean by little children? Is he writing to third graders? Physical children that are young. Okay, well, what is, what does he mean little children? Okay. 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 Okay, then he goes, hang that thought. Then he goes, I read unto you fathers. Again, is he talking physical dads? What's the distinction here? Go ahead. Okay, immature versus mature. He did it. He said what you were going to say. Okay, then he goes a little bit further and he says, uh, where does he do it? Verse 14. I write unto you fathers because... Da, da, I have written unto you young men because you are strong. So some will take this that he's talking to eight physical age groups. Most of us will take it he's talking to spiritual age groups. And he's basically covering all of it, right? He's got those who are, you know, the mature, really mature. They got most of it together, which you and I one, one day hope to be there. Then he talks to those who are really doing well for a period of time they've grown. And then he talks to those who are still baby Christians, okay? And he's writing to each and every one of them. And as he writes to them, he gets to the command eventually that says, love not the world. Which group of mature Christians are to stay away from the world? All of them, okay? And so he talks, and and what I find interesting, he says, I read unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I read unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I read unto you, young man, because you have overcome the wicked one, I read unto you, little children, because you've known the Father. I have written, unto you, have written unto you, fathers, because you knew him from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you overcome the wicked one. Love, not the world. Based on what you have done in your life, based on what I have done in your life, you shouldn't be loving the world. So as he's talking about it, you look through and he says, he's given us birth. That's clearly, because it's all relationship in here. He's writing onto the idea that we've had our sins forgiven. So if your sins have, you've had to repent of those sins and they had to be forgiven, why would you go back to those sins? That, that, you know, that's the concept. He's saying we enjoy close fellowship. The word no in this passage is the, not this idea. Okay, it's not this idea. It's the idea of being intimate, being really close to. Okay, you and I, we know, okay, the, uh, the president, let's say. We know him by, by voice. We know him by pictures. But I, I don't know of any of us who know him in a personal friendship. Okay, that, that's what he's talking about here, is the world, they may know about God up here, but they don't know God here. You and I do. And it's every single age group here is knowing God. And he's, this whole idea of saying to some of you who are uh, the, the bulk of that young man or in that age of you've matured, you've grown, and most of you are either young men or your fathers by the concept here spiritually and maturity, you've overcome the wicked one. You've had victories in the past, and you have. You can look in your life and say, yeah, I've I've had, and I still struggle, but I've had some victories. And his point is, don't go back. Don't go back. You know God, your sins have been forgiven, you've had victories, love not the world. Don't get caught back into that stuff once again. And so bottom line is, all of us are to stop loving the world. That's verse 15 where he says, you all stop loving the world. Uh, is the concept. Okay? It includes every single one that we've already mentioned here in the text. So he has that verse. Let me take you to a more difficult passage about separation. Go to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter six, Second Corinthians six. This one gets difficult. Okay, Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter six. We know the one phrase. Most of us know it. We've had it memorized for a number of years. Okay. But I want you to get the context, which makes it somewhat difficult at times. In chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Okay, we're taking that phrase, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, in order to get the context of this passage, okay, okay, What has he been talking about in verses 11 through 13 before he gives the command? Let's back up and read it. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open. I'm reading out of King James. You might have another translation, okay? But listen to this translation if you have another one. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. What's that mean? What's he mean by, you are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Be ye also enlarged. Okay, now you're going to give us another... another, uh, Okay, okay. I'm sorry. This is me. I read that verse. I read that verse. I read that verse, and it was like, I don't have a clue what he was meaning. Okay. What's that? Okay. Okay. I had no clue, and so I used some helps. Okay. I picked up some other other translations just to help me understand what they were saying. Let's see. let's jump this way. Okay. He now in chapter six he's been talking about, you know, how he cares for them. Uh, This is a paraphrase. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. That's what you said. Restricted. That's the word straightened back in 1611. Okay. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Now explain that verse to me. What's he basically asking them to do? Still doesn't make sense? Let me set the scene a little bit more. There's been people in the church critical of Paul and wondering whether he's a true apostle, whether we should help him, whether we should support him. He is defending himself and saying, wait a minute, you've got a whole bunch of false teachers that have come in who are jealous of me, and they're transforming themselves into angels, do you remember the phrase? Angels of light, but they are actually coming out of demonic forces, trying to cause division, and so he's writing to them, and he's saying, look at this passage, and look at these words. Has Paul loved the Corinthians? He has. Have they reciprocated freely to him up to this point? No. What's he wanting them to do? Reciprocate. Open wide your hearts. And basically, and notice the we. Who's he mean by the we? Take a shot at it. Who's he meaning by the we? What's that? It could be Timothy. Whoever's with, Whoever's with him. Fellow ministers. People who are genuinely, truly bringing the truth to them. That we're supposed to be... How do, how do, if you were living in the New Testament era, well, how are you supposed to treat the preachers who might come through who are preaching truth? What are you supposed to do? Hospitality. Take care of them. Oh, somebody else said something, love? Okay, give them, yeah, that's his point. That's his point. He is saying, you have become cynical of preachers because you've had some bad apples. Does that sound like 2020? Has, has, uh, seriously, can we become cynical because there's some bad apples in the pulpit? Well, let me rephrase that. Can we become cynical of politicians because there's a bunch of bad apples? But are every single, every single politician, are they corrupt and evil? No. But can we come to that conclusion? Okay? Can we come to the conclusion that everybody is a huckster when it comes to pulpiteering? Yeah, because some are. And so what he's doing, he's saying, now wait a minute, guys. Maybe you've got burnt. But please don't become so cynical and open wide your hearts. That's his context. That's what he's talking about in the previous verses. Then why does he go to the next verse and say, be not unequally yoked? Okay? But in that phrase, open wide your heart. Okay, okay. So... Open wide your heart doesn't mean swing the pendulum totally the other way. Right? They got burnt, so what did they do? They swung the pendulum. They're not even trusting Paul. Is Paul saying swing the pendulum all the way back and anybody who comes in? Is that what he's saying? Okay. He's, he's coming to the middle. He's saying open wide your heart to those who are true but you've got to test the spirits. Be not unequally yoked with who? In the context. Okay. Who are the unbelievers in particular? Uh, let's develop that. Okay, let's develop that. Okay. So in this passage, Paul is encouraging them to show compassion towards others and care you know, and accepting those, especially let's talk about those who are doing missionary work, those who are doing ministry work, those who are doing itinerant preaching. That's what he's just been talking about. Okay? And he's just shared with them how much he's cared for them and how much he suffered. But there's a limit to their wide open love. Okay? And he's, God is telling them okay, and us to do something. What are the four commands in these verses? Starting with verse 14. What are the commands? Be not unequally yoked. Okay? Go down to verse 17. What's another command there? Okay. At the very beginning. Come out from among them. What's another command? Be separated. And then basically touch not. Okay, so you've got real simple commands, okay, that basically, and the B separate is set up boundaries, literally set up fences, okay, some barriers that you can't cross. And then the idea, and, and notice I put up here so you get a better rendering, stop becoming unequally yoked, which implies that they were what? They were opening their hearts where they shouldn't be to some degree. Stop touching the unclean things. And you understand what that is because that's all that Old Testament concept. Those are the commands. Together they're giving you this idea is don't get involved with something. Now we go a little bit further, okay? Who or what does God have in mind when he says the unclean? Where, where, in verse 14. Who does he have in mind? Be not unequally yoked with who? the unbelievers. Okay, that's very clear in this passage. What does that mean? Do we isolate from unbelievers? Okay, do we do, and I'm I'm not trying to just rehash the same thing, do we become monastic? Do we become Amish? Is that what he means? No, no. Okay, so there's got to be some interaction. How do we know that from the Bible? how do we know that god doesn't expect us to form our own commune and it's just us and no us for no more we're supposed to what did you, somebody said it. go into all the world and preach the gospel spread the light okay other other bible truths principles jesus ate with sinners okay so let's just dissect it okay did jesus eat with publicans and sinners Okay, we know that's true. In fact, he got he got um, uh, blasted because he's eating with them. This, the Pharisees, they would do what? They were of the ilk. They wouldn't get close. They wouldn't touch. They wouldn't do anything. And they said, what are you doing, Jesus? You're eating with publicans and sinners. Does that mean Jesus participated in? This is is where we've got to be careful. Does that mean Jesus participated in their sin? No, No, it doesn't say that. But did he have contact with them? Yes. Yes, okay. Let's take it this one. Did Jesus ever mention that we're supposed to be engaged in the world? In John chapter 17, he is giving his priestly prayer right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch what he prays here. Okay, he's praying not just for those you have given me, but for those you will give me in the future. And he makes this comment, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He goes a step further, as you have sent me into the world, even so also I send them into the world. What is his concern? Well, let's see here, okay? His goal in this passage, that they all may be one and that the world may believe that you have sent me. And let me see if I have this. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me. He repeats it. Okay, so think this one through. Does God want us to be engaged in the world? With the world to a degree? Yes. But what doesn't he want? Yes. Okay. And we're supposed to have some form of separation from the world, but not isolation. We've got to have some interaction and God, because God never said, I'm, I'm taking them out. He says, I'm, just as you sent me, I'm sending. And Jesus had interaction because the Father sent him. So we're supposed to have some interaction, but we're not supposed to have participation in whatever they're doing. But we have to have interaction. Why? Why do we have to have interaction, but it is... Interaction that is maintaining purity. What's his goal? What did you say? They have to see a difference. His goal in all this is for them to come to a point of belief. But why should they believe in our God if we're identical? If there's no difference? That's what he's praying about. Some of you already alluded to it. You said in Matthew chapter 5, remember this text? You are the light and the salt, okay? So the question is, what good is salt if it loses its impact? If the salt is is lost its difference, its saltiness, then he says, how's it going to be restored? If you're going to be salt, you have to be able to make a difference. You can't make a difference if you're identical. How does he say it about the, the light? and the you know, what, what are we supposed to do with our light? What aren't we supposed to do with our light? You are the light of the world. Okay, it's got to shine. You don't hide it, okay? Because what good is light if it's hidden? No good. So we're supposed to be shining purity. We're supposed to be shining holiness in a gracious way. We're to do that. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. What's that mean? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father. What's he implying? And what happens to them? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. They see a difference and maybe they want What? yeah yeah they want to come to a point where they want to glorify God, which means they get saved is the concept is the idea, but they 're not going to get saved if we don 't have a difference and so that idea going all the way back to corinthians okay we 're supposed to balance our light while separating from the world. How do we balance that it 's a struggle it 's an absolute struggle you have it every you have these struggles where where Okay, I'm to be a light to the world, but I'm supposed to have interaction. How do I have light and interaction when somebody is involved with an immoral lifestyle? How much interaction do I do? Where do I go with this? They're a relative. And now I'll I'll, I'll just throw some silly illustration. Um, My sister has now taken up with a woman. Do I totally disconnect? Do I have some interaction? Those aren't easy questions. Those are tough situations. Uh, where do I go if, you know, if they've become a cultist? Do I, do I have any kind of phone conversation with them? Do we get together at Christmas, if their cult allows them to? Um, do we do that? How do we handle that? This is really tough. Where, does, where do you draw the line in some of this? And so he's talking about the idea of we need to make a distinction, but we don't isolate, okay? We don't imitate. We seek to be the influence, not to be influenced by them. Okay, That's where he's going with this whole passage. So back in Corinthians, what does it mean, be I not unequally yoked? Okay, If it's not isolation, then what is it? Be not unequally yoked. Partnership. Partnership. Remember, we're talking an Old Testament concept that you don't yoke together an ox and a donkey. Why not? They're different. What did somebody say? Teresa, was that you mumbling in the back? Why not? Yeah. Okay. Do they have different moods if you're involved with animals? Can they have different speeds? Okay, so all those differences are there that it would be di- very difficult to the, two, to the two to work together. So bring it back now, this idea that you can't be yoked up, tied together in something that is really binding, and you have to ask to yourself the question, how do we apply this? How do we apply this first? How is it frequently applied? Okay, in marriage, in marriage, okay. We know, we know it cannot mean never share the gospel with somebody it cannot mean that otherwise we violate the great commission so it can't mean that what does it mean we frequently have this type of application okay that some will some have said never ever do business with a lost person it can't mean that it can't mean that in the in the in the passage why not because they're even going to the, going to the temple, uh, going to the lost people, and they're buying their meat. And, he's, and he doesn't condemn them for buying the meat. He condemns them for flaunting if that is going to cause somebody to stumble. But he doesn't say you can never, ever buy the meat from an unsaved person or from those priests who were selling it at the back door. He doesn't say that. He condemns the attitude of not caring for others. So he's not saying you can never do business. You can't buy gas at an, at an unsaved person's gas station. He's not saying that. If he's saying that, what's the practical problem? Okay, we, we understand the practical problem. <laughs> We're going to go without clothes, cars, and we are going to be less than Amish. Okay, so we typically apply this to marriage vows. Okay? Does it make sense that saved and unsaved, being yoked in marriage, could be a real problem? Yes. This could also be applied, some apply it in the area of what? Business. Business. How so? Whoever said business? Partnership. Okay, getting into long-term partnerships, contract partnerships, where you're, you're doing something that that you're yoking together, not purchasing, but you're yoking together in a long-term co-business partnership. That's where some will apply it. <clears throat> in the immediate context, he is obviously dealing with church, clergy, ecclesiastical situations. That's the most pointed application of this text that he's talking about. Don't open up, the, open up your heart to those who are ministering the word of God but at the same time, don't open up your heart and home to who? Did I lose everybody on this one? The false teachers. Okay, so you have to, what did you say before when you, we were talking about it? What do they have to do with the spirits? Test. They have to test the spirits, try the spirits, whether they be of the truth. And so basically he's talking about making a clean break from past associations, Religious, okay, you're doing a Bible study and you're doing it with somebody like the Bergraf family when we first got saved. You're doing a Bible study with us. Our inclination in our community, which was the Catholic community, nobody was allowed in this community who was a Protestant, only Catholics. We were told if anybody does business with a non-Catholic in this community that we would go to hell. And so it was very dominating. This is in the early 70s. We were still living in the community. So our thought, when you would come and do a Bible study, we just got saved, our thought is we could still go to the Catholic Church because were there outside pressures? For us, there were. For my family, there was. It was, how are we going to survive? We're baby Christians. We have no idea how this works. Just trust the Lord. That was a foreign concept to us. And so you're dealing with a baby Christian. You're going to have to say to them, okay, and we would go back, and this was us, when we went back for the first few weeks to the church with our eyes open to truth, but being young and dumb and ignorant, we would find verses that they would be quoting in the service we never heard before. And we were saying, they're going to the Bible. Maybe they changed in the last month. After hundreds and hundreds of years, they're going to preach the Bible. And then we never realized, hey, they were do- using those verses all the time. We were just never in tune to them. It wasn't changing. But we felt the pressure. What do you tell us, somebody like that? Okay, as they grow in the Lord, you've got to be telling them, come out from among them, be ye not unequally yoked. Okay? And he goes on and he talks about that whole idea where he says in these commands, come out from among them and be separate. Why? Look at how he unfolds this, how he fleshes this out. In verse 14, after he says, be ye not unequally yoked together, what does he do in the next few sentences? What do you notice that they have in common? The rest of verse 14 and 15. What's that? He's making a contrast. How is he heightening it? How is he getting them to think with them, with him? What other tool is he using grammatically? He's using questions. Questions require you to do what? You've got to think to give an answer. And he's saying, okay, let me ask you, and this is by the Spirit of God, getting you, the reader, to say, hey, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What's your answer? What's your immediate answer? What fellowship do they have? They don't. Oh, okay. And what communion has light with darkness? None. Okay, good, good. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or the demons? None, none, nothing. What part has, a, has he that believes with an unbeliever? Should be none. So he's asked very, very. you know, it, it's like God asking, Adam, where are you? Did God lose Adam? No, what is he trying to get him to do? To think, to come, to come clean here. God is asking you questions for you to think this through. Okay? And the conclusions are, we have different natures. Okay? We're like the ox and the donkey together. We, we think differently. We work differently. We have different value systems. Our goals should be different. This is all in that idea that you're growing in grace. Okay? The idea is our loyalty is different. Our loyalty is to be to God Almighty, for he has purchased it. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which, and he says, present your body, which is your reasonable worship. Totally different value systems. He goes on, he says, this idea of he hath said, and he repeats it in this text. He goes on, he makes the comment that God hath said, God hath said, okay, just reminding that this isn't something new. And if you separate this way, I will receive you. The receiving is not like hey, hi. It's good good to see you. The receiving, the word used here, do you have an idea what it is? Can you give me an illustration of what do you think he's talking about? Anybody want to venture? Go ahead. Okay. Your son comes to visit. Okay? From Wisconsin. You see him once in a blue moon. Okay. Too long. Okay. And you say to him, Hi, Travis. No. No. You grab him and you're in your heart. You don't want to let go. Okay. That's the receiving. Thank you, Barb. That's exactly what he's talking about. Is that you are, God says, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, None of you do this, grandparents. None of you do this. When our grandkids come to visit... Our first and focus is the grandkids, and my kids and kid in laws. They go, "You're big. Forget you." Okay, these are. You. That's what he's talking about. Is that you, there's God is saying, "I'm going to really, really appreciate you and have that close contact with you." It's a tremendous passage. Here's the bottom line: failure to separate results in a loss of intimate fellowship with God, who is holy. Think it through. That's potent stuff. That's very challenging stuff. Now here's where we want to go. We want to get to have no fellowship with unfruitful works. And I want to get to a couple other verses where he says, when these people come to your home who are not preaching truth, what are you supposed to do? Not do. Not do. Do you remember what John writes? Do not do two things. Don't don 't let them in, and don 't say, "God bless you, okay no nobody, nobody a few of us are going to understand what I just did okay. um, you're doesn 't that sound harsh on the surface? Yes, no. I want to talk about that next week okay let 's stop right there.